0: Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you uh, to the seminar this morning entitled, Because You Pray. And I want to start out by saying this to you. You have to understand that it isn't me. It is because I pray. And believe me, anyone can do that and everyone should be doing it. And so I want to share my um, process with you in hopes that it will stimulate your personal devotional life and prayer life and affect your whole church because it's not just about us individually. So if we're going to do this right, though, we need to start with prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this very special occasion to actually study what the Bible teaches about prayer and our personal experiences. And I pray your spirit would now lead and guide and direct. Take control, Lord, and bless each one. And keep Satan out of here and all distractions, please, so that we can be free and clear to know you and to love you and connect with you in a more complete way. So blessed to this end and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You see a picture. Anybody know who that is? It's not a really good picture, but... That's Don Noble, who's been the head of Maranatha volunteers for how many millions of years? Long time. Have any, any of you gone on Maranatha trips? Oh, you haven't? Okay. Okay, well, this is Don Noble. We were good friends in, um, when he was the Bible teacher in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'll never forget, I was a brand-new convert from Catholicism at the age of 26. In fact, right when I became an Adventist was when I graduated with my master's degree uh, in biology. And, uh, and I started going to the church in um, northern Wisconsin. And it was a church that was basically full of older people. But they were very good to me in nurturing me in my young infancy as a Christian. And so, about four years later, when I was hired to be the church school teacher in Duluth, Minnesota, when I went down to Minneapolis for the teachers' convention prior to my first year of teaching in an Adventist school, mind you, I would never been to an Adventist school myself, But I became a convert, I became an Adventist, and I devoured Ellen White's writings with my Bible. Or I should say, I devoured the Bible along with the writings of Ellen White. And they were very comfortable in hiring me to be a minister, uh, to be a, a church school teacher, even though I had no Adventist educational experience. But one of my favorite books to this day is the book Education. And you young people, if you're preparing to be a parent one of these days, you need to read that book. Desire of Ages, Great Controversy, Patriarchs and Prophets, Books, Education. Those four, to me, are, the most, are classics. But anyway, so I, I went down there, and i was like, oh, man, there's other young people in this church. <laughs> I didn't even know that. And I, I connected with Don, you know? And, and so I'll never forget when he invited me to come down and stay for the weekend and, and to visit. I was real excited because I could see all these other young Adventists who were also in the church that I didn't honestly, honestly, I didn't know they existed. And so I went down there for the weekend and it was Sunday morning and it was still dark outside and I was sleeping on Don's couch and he was in an apartment building and like, Minnesota is very, uh, even Minneapolis is very interesting because everything, even the city itself, is almost like country. You know, there's lakes everywhere, there's trees everywhere. So in the back of his apartment building is a wooded area. And so, it's just picturesque. If you open, you know, you open the curtains and there's wilderness, so to speak. And so I'm laying on the couch, it's really dark, and I hear Don get out of bed. And I hear him go into the bathroom. Then I hear the shower, and I'm going, this is Sunday morning. What is he doing? And I'm laying there on the couch, you know, half asleep, because that's what I'm used to doing. And, and all of a sudden, he comes out of the bathroom, and I see him tiptoe in the darkness. I see a shadow, and he goes over to that window that overlooks the woods. And he puts something on the ground and sort of smooths it, and then he kneels down. And I want you to know that I am just like Peter in the Bible. And so in the dark, I go, Don, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying. And I said, why? And I mean, it was like in the dark, even, I could almost see like, what, are you kidding me? young people, I was baptized into this church under the doctrines, but nobody told me about prayer. In fact, the truth was, nobody told me about Bible study. Don was, like, shocked. And so he gave to me a series of tapes. Back then it was tapes, you know. Did you ever hear tapes? Okay. And it was uh, Morris Venden doing a series at Thunderbird Academy... On, on devotional life. And so driving all the way home from visiting Don that later on that Sunday afternoon, I listened to those tapes. Young people, it changed my life. And that's why I'm here today. Amen. I want you to know, because you prayed, that things happen when you pray. And it's what we all need to do personally, and also we need to, in the church now, do it more corporately and so I want to invite you as we look at this topic to take your Bibles if you would and turn to Isaiah 36 hope you have your Bibles these are the swords your swords Isaiah 36 and I want to share a story with you and this is really exciting and I'll tell you why this story is so exciting I want you to get out your you know when you get home take your favorite Bible and sit down and open up the whole New Testament read it and share with me any other story in the Old Testament that you find in three places Kings, Second Kings, Second Chronicles and Isaiah hold this same story. That's how important this story is. 3 Different places, not just second Kings and not just second Kings and second Chronicles, but Isaiah repeats it in his book. And so we're going to look at that. It happened because of prayer. Verse number one. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah that Shanacharub, king of Assyria, came against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshake from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a great army, and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. That's a tough one for me. (laughs) Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house and Shebna, the scribe, and Joab, Asa's son, the recorder. And the rabshake said unto them, Say now ye unto Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trusteth? I say, saith thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Notice these both for words. And, and right away, you see the essence of this story, especially here in Isaiah, is about trust. Who do you trust? Okay, now I want you to know the rabshake was sent as a representative from Shennacherib. And by the way, there's a side issue here. Well, we're going to get to that. These people were nasty. They have a reputation so, um, so evil and so great that there's been a number of articles in National Geographic about the Assyrians. You can go back into your archives of National Geographic and read about them. They were nasty people. This was a serious situation. God's people and his holy city and temple were in great jeopardy. By the way, not very much uh, earlier than this, they had taken the northern kingdom into captivity, remember? Defeated Samaria and took all the people of the northern kingdom captive in 722 B.C. This is a little bit later than that. This Shennacherib and the king of Assyria was serious business. And the whole issue is, who do you trust? Now, if you read on here, you will find out that uh, the Sheikh is just reminding them that no one has been able to defeat their armies. And what makes you think that you're any better than any of the other countries we've taken possession of? OK? I want to tell you about the Assyrian military, just so you see the truth here. They regarded warfare as their most important activity. Isn't that interesting? Number two, they were well equipped and highly trained. Now that may sound funny to you, but you know, back then, believe it or not, most armies were made of of mercenaries. That means. People, men who actually made a living out of going to war and whoever was at war, they would volunteer. If they lived way over there, it didn't matter. There was no nationalism yet, okay? Nationalism means you're fighting for your country. This is your fighting because you like to fight. They were well-trained and well-organized, which was unusual back then. Third, they were the first to master the chariot. The chariot was like a, a a tank today in warfare. And also, they were ruthless in their task, tactics. I'll never forget when I read, as even a kid, the um, whenever they defeated a nation and they conquered uh, and breached the walls and conquered the city, they would take the leaders, whether they're kings, governors, whatever they happen to be, they would line them out, outside. They would cut down saplings that would be able to support at least 250 pounds or so. They would sharpen one end, cut it about 12 foot long, and then they would impale the back of the leaders with the sharp end and then set them outside the city walls on the post to languish there until they died. Nice people. So this is the army that came against God's people. They used psychological warfare. So this was a serious situation. Well, notice what happened. Verse 14 through 16. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in who? The Lord. Saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, This city shall not be delivered into the hands of the king of Assyria. Hearken not unto Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and eat ye every one from his vine and every one from his fig tree. Drink every one the water of his own cistern. Now, young people, I have to stop here and you wonder where's the credibility of this as we're sitting together here in this beautiful setting and especially for the ministries that you have, that God has laid upon your heart that you have been um, practicing, going door to door, helping people. I want you to know the world is telling you it's stupid what you're doing. Okay, the world is telling you there's something better. The world is telling you why are you wasting your time? There are riches, fame, and fortune that can be obtained. I want you to know this is a story about you and I today. When you read these Old Testament stories or New Testament stories, you need to look at them in terms of what is God saying to me about my life today? Because there's an enemy out there that is ruthless. He uses psychological warfare and he is not afraid to kill you. By the way, do you know what he does to his servants? Those that make deals with him, he elevates them to positions of importance, fame and fortune. And along the way, then gets them to commit suicide. Now wait a minute, you think how could any general have a significant army if he then kills his own members. And that's because Satan cannot control himself. His desire is to kill you so that you do not have a chance to repent. And isn't that what the preacher said this morning? This is about you and I today and the battle that's out there. And we got to see how Hezekiah responded. Because in that response, I know you're going to be encouraged as well as challenged to begin to practice the approach he took in this incredible crisis that he was facing. And remember, as you get older and bear more responsibility, you're not just talking about yourself. The king is talking about the country, the nation, the city. Yeah. And by the way, here's another thing. I admire your firm stand, and I don't want you to lose it, but the minute that you men have a wife, things change. Like I think, what would I do if they took my wife and said, deny Christ or I'm going to. It was a whole lot easier when it was just me, okay? I knew the answer to that question just like that. And then you have children and they say, deny Christ or we are going to your two boys. And I'm going, Lord, when I was alone, I knew just what to do. What do I do now? So you see, these are crucial issues that we need to understand. We need to see how Hezekiah responded And then we need to practice because when those times come, I guarantee God will come through. He will answer those. See, when they want to debate with you, they'll say, well, oh, yeah, you're that tough, huh? What would you do if they took your wife and said this to you? You know what? I can't answer that. But when the time comes, God will answer that. And he will. Well, I got to stop preaching here. So let's take a look. What did he do? Check this out. I love this. You got Isaiah 37? Okay, you ready? Hang on. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim who was over the household and Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and a blasphemy for the children are come to birth and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be that the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh. Whom the king of Syria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God has heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayers for the remnant that is left. Now, notice, what did he do? He humbled himself. Now, you're going, hey, yeah, great, I can do that. Well, grow older. And, and obtain some of the battle scars of life. And especially you males in here, humbling yourself is not a simple thing to do. Now, women seem to be better at it. Uh, I don't understand that, except I know that women are different from men and men are different from women. I seem to think they have some sort of advantage. If I remember correctly, the last person at the cross, the first person at the tomb, and the first person Jesus appeared to was none other but Mary Magdalene, a woman. Not Peter, not James, not John. They weren't the last at the cross. They weren't the last at the tomb. They weren't the first at the tomb, and they weren't the first that Jesus appeared to. It was a woman seemed to have an understanding of a relationship with Jesus back then before the disciples had caught it. Now, I'm, I'm entering an area I don't know much about. I'm just challenging you men, it's hard to humble yourselves. I, when I go to do prayer conferences, I got a room full of women. Part of the problem is the men are afraid. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that if they pray, they'll start to cry and they don't want to cry in front of other people. You know, when the Spirit moves upon you, tears come. I mean, in the Old Testament, we haven't got there yet, but it's coming. The Holy Spirit was so powerful that people fell on their faces. Now, I'm not talking about the stuff you see on TV. I'm talking about where the Spirit moves so mightily that you can't be anywhere but down on your knees in some places, even on your face. And it isn't wild emotionalism either. It's overcome by the presence of God and the humbleness that we feel that he would even bother to appear to us. That's it. And so you see, he humbled himself for the king to put on sackcloth. We're talking about the king. Hey, read your Bible carefully and read about Solomon, the wisest and richest man that ever lived and how polluted he became. And it wasn't so easy to humble himself at the end as it was at the first. He humbled himself, put on sackcloth. And then he said to the congregation, we need to what? What? We need to pray. We need to petition the Lord in this matter. In fact, look what he did here. This is... uh, Let's see, where am I? I get get so excited I get lost. Okay, verse 14. Now we're skipping down to 14 and look at there's an added issue here. He goes into the sanctuary and it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger and he read it. Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and he... And he... Spread it out before the Lord." Now what happened was, is they started to pray, and they didn't respond right away, so they sent an official communique from the king himself with his impression upon it, saying all the things the Sheikh had said to King Hezekiah personally. And what he did was he took that letter, and all his advisors, with their sackcloth and ashes, went into the temple, And he put it out before the Lord, and he prayed. Are you needing answers to any critical issues in your life? I strongly urge you to write it out in the letter to the Lord, and then kneel down before it and present it to God. You know, one of my favorite quotes that might be very frustrating on prayer to you is found in 668 of the Desire of Ages in which she said, after you have laid out your case before the Lord, you will know just what to do. Now, wouldn't it be neat if she said, after you laid out your case to the Lord, an angel will appear and tell you what to do. Okay, can you say amen to that? I have yet to see an angel that I know of, okay? Or a bush burns. I haven't seen a bush burn yet. She says, lay it out before the Lord, spread out your case before the Lord, and you will know what to do. Hezekiah took that letter, he set it down, he knelt down, he prayed. Okay, now let's stop for just a second because in this day and age in which we live, would you, that's not very proactive. I mean, come on, king, grab the bull by the horns and send the army out there to kick some soldiers around. Get out the missiles, get out the, the drones. Target these people. No, he laid out the case before the Lord and he prayed because he knew that he had no recourse, other recourse. All the human remedies would not work. By the way, that's spiritual insight. I, I want you to know that spiritual insight. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Things are so bad today, do you know, that our leaders don't even know the solutions to the problems anymore. Our Congress is a mess. The presidency is a mess. They're all a mess. The Supreme Court's a mess. Why? Because they're not moving on principles of righteousness, and they will never come to right conclusions. They do not know what to do, and they're not deferring to any other authority but their own abilities. And you know what? We're doing it. Why? Because the mass media is pounding that into our heads. If you're one of those that spends a large amount of time on the internet, the computer, TV, movies, your minds are being inundated by Satan's agenda, which actually renders you, yes, less useful to the Lord. See, this is stories about you and I. This isn't about 3,000, 4,000 years ago. They don't know the solutions. Hezekiah had spiritual insight. And because he had spiritual insight, he knew he had no recourse except the living God of heaven. And so he as a king humbled himself and put on sackcloth He counseled his advisors to do the same. Then he told the people to pray, and then he went in the house of the Lord, and he spread out his case before him. How many of you already know this story? You know what happens next? Come on, you know what happens, don't you? Okay, a couple of you do. That's really good because this makes the impact all the better. Verse 36. I want you to read it. Verse 36. Still same chapter. Verse 36. He spread out his case before the Lord. Wearing his sackcloth, he humbled himself. The people prayed and the Bible says, and then the angel of the Lord went forth and did what? Smote." The, in the camp of Assyrians, 104 score and 5,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Hey, can you take a moment to say hallelujah? <laughs> One angel appeared and 185,000 soldiers died. Now that's an effective army, I would say. And Hezekiah, what did he do? Humbled himself, put on sackcloth and ashes, told everybody to pray, then brought the case before the Lord, put it there, knelt down. Said, Lord, they are making fun of you. By the way, spiritual insight again. Hezekiah was a reformer. Read about him mostly in 2 Chronicles. Now, he's also in 2 Kings. But 2 Chronicles beautifully chronicles the reforms that he instituted prior to this. Hap- occurrence. He was a reformer. And therefore, he had spiritual insight. And those spiritual insights dictated to him what he should do in this problem. And he unleashed the power of one angel. And that angel leveled an army of 185,000. Because he said in his prayer, this man and this army and this nation has reproached your name. And Lord, we want to honor your name. And so we give you permission to intervene divinely in whatever way you see fit because without you we are destroyed. And God slew with one angel 185,000 foreign cracked trained well-organized and equipped army of the Assyrians. What a story. Now you see why it's in there three times? But you also see the more times you read those story, that story in all three places over and over, you begin to see yourself in your life, in the world today, and what God expects his people to do. Now, is there any truth to this? Let's see. So let's go to the next thing. And we'll wrap it up here. I want you to look, if you would, at verse number 21 of 37. 21. After the angel came, Isaiah came to Hezekiah. And how many of you know who Isaiah is? Right? By the way, what do they call Isaiah? Like Jeremiah, they call the weeping prophet. What do they call Isaiah? The gospel prophet. Nobody talks about Jesus as often and as much as Isaiah does. That's where that incredible Isaiah 53 is. Read Isaiah. By the way, I'm a minister. I've been to the seminary. And still much of the book of Ezekiel, I don't understand. But but Isaiah... Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those three books talk about the Seventh-day Adventists and you and I and the church today. And I force myself to read them over and over, and every time I do, I get clearer understanding. I don't know it all yet, okay? But slowly but surely, God reveals to me the incredible message. Isaiah is amazing because of how often and how much he talks about Jesus. Not that the others don't but not to the extent of Isaiah. He's the gospel prophet. He shows up to Hezekiah and look what he says. He says this. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Assyria, Now, who's got a modern, uh, a more modern version? What does yours say? Because you prayed to me. See, the King James says that, but it says, whereas thou hast prayed to me against Shanakaru. But I looked in the New King James and others, and they said, because you prayed. Is that not a simple concept? Because you prayed. This incredible story found Three times in the Old Testament, I've yet to find any other story three times in the Old Testament. The simple um, uh, principle that is underlined here is because you prayed. By the way, how many of you are familiar with the quote in Great Controversy 525? It is part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow did we not thus ask him. You've got to memorize that. Great Controversy 5.25. Why? It's saying God is a lawful God. Therefore, some things he cannot do unless we give him permission. And it's not because we're bossing him around. It's because we're open the possibility to close Satan from any objection because God can say, my people requested this. Stand out of my way. It is part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith that which he could not be, would not bestow, did we not thus ask him? Amen. Great controversy, 525. Because you prayed. What else can I say to you? Because you prayed. God wants us to know that. But he wants us to practice. By the way, you know I'm a minister. And, and I'm into prayer, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm here, right? You should see how hard it is to get prayer implemented in the church, on a level any other than private prayer in the closet. Shut the door. My wife always says to me because she has a different attitude than I am not against prayer or about prayer, uh, against prayer, but it's she's private herself. So people don't want to pray in public and they won't come to your prayer meeting. By the way, for our prayer meeting, you know what we do? We pray. That's right. We pray. <laughs> and I got people that don't come. That were coming to prayer meeting when we were studying something. So I went around them. I, we pray and then we study. <laughs> but we pray. We have a prolonged period of prayer. It is really hard to get the church going. And I... I, three, t- three parts isn't long enough. I, I want to share with you what we came up with and what we're doing, even though it's still a battle. Getting the people to pray corporately is very difficult. Joel is an end-time book. And Joel says, call a sacred assembly, set up a fast Bring the priests, the princes, the people, the children, the babies, the bridegrooms, the brides. Get them here. We're going to pray. That's what has to happen in the last days. And so what more can I say to you than say it? Because you prayed. Because you prayed. And that's what it says in the New King James and the other versions of the Bible. Isaiah says, Hey, Hezekiah, what would you think of that? Oh, man, this blew my mind. I can't believe God. He's incredible. Why did he do that? He said, well, I'm here to tell you why he did that. Because you prayed. And by the way, notice something. I want you to miss this, and then I'll move on. Because you prayed to me about Shinnakeru. What does that mean? Specific. Drop these generalizations, by the way. Don't even pray for the missionaries unless you know the name of one. Or you know a location. Or you know a situation that has arisen. Then you refer to that to God. Notice what Isaiah said. Because you prayed to me. No, because you prayed to me concerning Shanakrub, the king of Assyria. About this very incident. Now I can answer you. So I want you to learn that. What verse was that? That was hold it. 21. Oh, you mean the, yeah, 21? 21, 21. 21. 21. Right. Now I want to read this to you because you guys are you guys are our future okay, ten. Good. You guys are our future leaders. Listen what Ellen White wrote on one occasion. Then let several of the leading men, and when she says that, if you look at the context, she's always talking about the leadership, and usually the review office in Battle Creek, her husband was part of that. Leading men. Together bring... uh, Together, bring the matter before the Lord, spread out the writing before Him, and with earnest prayer seek for a clear discernment and sharp discrimination to decide whether the plans proposed are for the glory of God and the good of both institutions. Do you hear this being done today? In fact, let me plant some seeds for you future conference president, union president, division presidents, and GC presidents. I pray for the day, and I've been praying since 85 or maybe longer, for the day when the first 24-hour period of general conference, instead of meeting, calling the delegates together, and then saying a prayer, and then starting business that they would set aside the first 24 hours and they would all fast and pray. They would fly them over from everywhere just like they do today. And all the people will come. But the first thing they do is fast and pray for the first 24 hour period. I, I pray for that day to happen. And I'm hoping it does soon. I have for you a quote here. That when we're done, I'll give you a card. It's on this card. Guys, forgive me, but I ran out of colors. <laughs> but look at this quote. This is about how to overcome uh, sins. That The remedy for the sin-sick soul. Remedy for the sin-sick soul. Okay? I saw how this grace could be obtained. Grace to remedy the sin-sick soul. That's the context. Go to your closet. There alone, plead with God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Be earnest, be sincere. Fervent prayer avails much. Jacob-like, wrestle in prayer. Agonize. Jesus in the garden, sweat great drops of blood. You must make an effort. Do not leave your closet. And by the way, how many of you ask this question, how long should I pray? Do not leave your closet until you feel strong. Strong in God. Then watch. Look at it. Continues even after that. You're now released to go to work. But keep watching. And just as long as you watch and pray, you can keep these evil besetments under. And the grace of God can and will appear in you. I carry these quotes in my Bible. And by the way, these are cardstock so they're not easily ripped. Amen. I got that for you. And now, I don't know if I got time, so I got to watch Charonette here. Charonette, what do I? I'll try to do this, okay. This is the western arm of Lake Superior. That's where I was baptized in that big, huge lake. It's the biggest spot of water, fresh water in the world. Not the deepest, that's Lake Baikal in Russia. You can tell that in my biology background I studied freshwater lakes. I used to do research work on that lake even as a Seventh-day Adventist until I became the church school teacher in Duluth, Minnesota. In Superior, Wisconsin was where I practiced what I heard on the tapes that Don Noble gave me. And one day my pastor called me, I was elder of the church. And he said, a lady died. A lady's husband died. She called me and wants to see us. On the way over there, she told me. He told me that she doesn't come to church anymore. I, I'm still a new Adventist. I mean, I'm like three or four years old. And I'm an elder, which shouldn't have been the case. But that tells you how small our church was, okay? Anybody who's on fire will make him something, you know. <laughs> keep. Okay, and so... We go to her house and I look at this lady. She's all, you know, and I thought, how can God, you know, answer her prayer? She doesn't come to church and look the way she looks. And now she's got a problem and she comes to us. This is what I was thinking. My minister didn't think that at all. Ray Plummer. Instead, he went in there and he listened to her and he read from the scriptures. And then we knelt in prayer. He loved that woman. He ministered to her. And while we were praying, I felt the presence of God like I'd never felt before. And by the way, it didn't come to me till later is why I can talk to you now. How judgmental a thinking I had when I walked through that door. And God couldn't have used me to do anything at that moment, but he can use Ray Plummer because he had a better attitude than I did. And anyway, I went home and I got on my knees and instead of saying, I'm sorry, because I didn't completely understand myself yet. I said, Lord, I want to be a minister. I'm the church school teacher in Duluth, Minnesota. Love it to death, but I want to be a minister. But because I'm so new and naive, Lord, I know that this is too great a position that I could not be a minister unless you called me to the ministry. So I am not going to do anything about it till you call me to the ministry. And for two and a half years, I prayed that prayer while I taught church school. And two and a half years later, I got up early in the morning like I always did. I got in my prayer spot like I always did. I knelt down to pray, which I did first before I read my Bible and then my spirit of prophecy. And while I was praying in my head, God said to me, I want you to be a minister. Two and a half years. I broke out into in, uh, what do you call it, emotional tears, I mean, what's? I broke down. I fell on my face, and I said, Lord, I cannot be a minister. (laughs) Yes, you heard me right. Don't scratch your head. For in that instance, when I heard that voice, it suddenly dawned on me. Every single person that came from the conference office that came up to this little tiny church far away in the northern parts of Wisconsin, Superior, Wisconsin, you can see it there at the western edge, they were official, they were well-dressed, they were administrative, they were organized, they were everything I wasn't. I said, Lord, I can't be a minister. And I'm just, my nose is running. I don't know about you, when I cry, my nose goes nuts. I hate that. And all of a sudden, the voice says, yes, but you pray. And I went... Yes, but you pray. And he said, yes, but you pray. And I thought, yes, but you pray. Yes, but you pray. And now I'm sitting up and I'm thinking because it just threw me for a loop. I thought, what are you saying to me? And all of a sudden I went, yes, but you pray. I pray to you and you tell me what to do. Yes. Well, then I can be a minister. Yes. That really happened to me. Because I prayed, he said, I want you to be a minister. And then he told me the reason I could be is not because I'm the most organized, the best administrator, the best looking, the most articulate. It was because I pray. And as long as I pray, God will tell me what to do. All the successes that I've had in my ministry are because of God answering my prayer. And if that testimony changes, there will not be any successes or the successes will not be lasting at all so the series title is it happened because of prayer and i want you to practice it father i want to thank you for blessing us from the bible with stories that model for us mentor us and teach us what you're waiting for your people to do and i want decisions to be made in here right now lord I want each person to say something to you right now. And it could be totally off the subject because you speak in different ways to all of us. But don't let us leave without coming to some conclusion about some aspect of our relationship with you. And then give us the power of the Holy Spirit to follow through. Bless each one as they make that commitment and decision.